This is Deep Down, and I'm your host, Jordan Hunt. I'm a composer, vocalist, multi-instrumentalist, and self-releasing artist. You might also know me as former violinist in the Irrepressibles, as a long-standing musical companion to Grammy-nominated Olivia Cheney, or as a musical and associate director of the Theo Adams Company. I delve deep as we explore the creative process and life through the lens of a musician, unraveling universal ideas and enigmas through some of my songs and lyrics, and through some of the profound moments that have shaped me. Join me deep down as we embark on this journey together in search of answers to the elusive question, what do you really feel deep down? As a musician and self-confessed perfectionist, practice, practice, practice comes with the territory. But how much does practice really matter? My music pupils often ask me how much they should be practicing their instrument. And for me, the answer is simple. And even though in my lifetime as a musician, I've clocked up thousands of hours of practice, where has it led me? And what can we learn from this structured repetition? Does it really change how we feel deep down? Welcome listeners to this new episode of Deep Down with me, your host, Jordan Hunt. Timely for the new year when people are kickstarting New Year's resolutions, new podcasts, new year, new me, you name it. I thought this topic was pretty timely in that regard. Today's episode title, Practice Makes Perfection, is actually a line that I used in a song of mine called Peter. And of course, the old adage is that practice makes perfect. But practice makes perfect didn't fit the syllable structure of my melody. (laughs) Plus, battling with a serious case of perfectionism over the years, which really is more of a hindrance than a help, it felt more correct to me that practice makes perfection. Also, my dear friend Olivia Cheney has a stunning song titled Imperfections that I play violin on, and you should definitely go and check it out if you don't know it already. Uh, I love the word imperfection song. It's just got so many syllables and it's so wrong, yet so right. (laughs) I guess now that extra syllable just feels familiar to me somehow. So I ended up with the lyric, practice makes perfection. When I used it in my song, Peter, which was effectively a breakup song that eventually took on a whole new meaning following the passing of its dedicatee, what I meant by the lyric was that every time we find ourselves in a new situation, relationship, situationship. Hopefully we can do it better next time. And it's a pretty ridiculous idea that the next or any future relationship would be perfect. But from the things that you learn about yourself and others, hopefully one would be better equipped the next time round, and hopefully at least improve the chances of a happy situationship for all involved. It's also a lyric I've used in my song Ocean Floor, written many, many years after Peter, and that was definitely a self-referential moment for me, where I was thinking to myself, remembering that line in Peter where I sang that it'll be better next time round, on the precipice of hope of a new relationship, and the rest of the song Ocean Floor is about that new first meeting many years later. And I'll be doing a deep dive about both of those songs in the near future, so look out for those episodes. Anyway, for me, it's clearly a recurring theme. 
a little like a recurring dream or a nightmare, <laughs> a do-over, which actually is definitely a dream I have doing school over again for some reason. Maybe one of you will be able to tell me what my subconscious is trying to tell me, <laughs> but that's probably a whole other podcast. And of course, when it comes to being a musician, making a podcast with an episode titled Practice Makes Perfection, <laughs> I guess the episode you're more likely to expect is about a musician practicing. And of course, that's a large part of my daily practice, the other meaning of the word, I guess. Or is it another meaning? I know there's multiple spellings, I've never quite got my head around that. In fact, I need to organise my thoughts a little here, because besides the use of this line in my lyrics, I do want to touch upon the meaning in terms of a musician practising, but also other ways I practice in my life. I've actually always had a funny relationship with practising my instrument. I don't think I honestly was taught or knew how to practice until quite late in my training. And I mean like 19 years old at this point. It was probably my composition teacher who explained it best to me, as he would set me composition exercises to just write. Just write lots and lots of music, more music than I was inspired to write. I mean, he would literally set me down at the table with pencil and paper and just watch me write for 40, 50 minutes at a time during a lesson. And he taught me composing as a discipline, how to write when you have no ideas. And he taught me the games other composers played to come up with notes when they weren't just flowing out of them, like with Mozart, who, prolific as he was, must have been some sort of vessel of a divine creator. I mean, total genius. Because, of course, at some point, the goal is that you get your commission and then you have to write lots of notes by a specific deadline. And if you don't have that discipline or haven't learned a craft of composing as a practice, then you're going to struggle. And he used to say you have to practice composing like you would practice a violin or the piano doing your scales. And these little note-spinning exercises were my version of scales, I guess. It took me a little while to get my head around, because honestly, I think he assumed I was better at practicing than I was. And I wasn't very good at that point, age 19, at practicing the violin or the piano or anything else. And I absorbed the concept laterally from friends at music college who would book practice rooms for three hours a day or more and go away and lock themselves in the practice room and come out having achieved something. So I ask friends, what do you do in there for three hours? <laughs> do you just play the piece over and over? And I remember my friend Isabel laughing and explaining her approach to practice and the need for lots of breaks and really focused attention. And for someone like me, who has definitely suffered from overworking to the point of a stomach ulcer, <laughs> I did not clearly understand the concept of a break at all. And I always remember she said she'd set a timer for 25 minutes and then have a five-minute break. And that's how she'd spend her hour or two hours. And this was in 2001, before I'd ever heard of the Pomodoro technique, which is pretty much work for 25 minutes, rest for 25, so that your brain can remain productive. She was just instinctively figuring out the best way that she functioned. And... I was also continuing to have piano and violin lessons at this point alongside my composition first study. So I had an opportunity to put these principles into motion and OMG, it worked. <laughs> I started getting up at 7am, I think it was a Wednesday, to book these practice rooms for the week. And saying 7am is not a humble brag, I'm definitely not a natural early riser, but you know, it's good to have a focus. 
But back in those days, you literally had to queue at the Music College reception desk at 7am every week to request your rooms for the week, and you were allowed up to three hours each day in advance. And of course you could do more, but this was a way to make sure everyone got a minimum allowance, so to speak. I mean, it's riveting backstory, I know, <laughs> no doubt. But the whole ritual of it was great, actually. And I thought, what have I been doing for this whole first year at college? Like, totally wasting my time. And of course, composers can write in their bedroom, you know, if they've got a desk. But the practice room was very good for establishing boundaries between work, life and life life. Anyway, cut to 20 plus years later, which makes me feel old. I am now having singing lessons for the first time in my life, which I started doing online during the pandemic. And it was great for a while. And I learned a lot of new information about the voice very quickly, a bit overwhelming, really. But then in the interim, I kind of lost that discipline that I had at music college. So eventually I, I decided to start booking a little practice room in town, which has a piano. It's basically a little soundproof coffin. <laughs> but it's good because I don't get self-conscious about making the funny noises that come out of my mouth when I practice my exercises and scales. And a couple of times a week, if it's a good week, I go and do my scales and exercises, and now I'm finally seeing some actual improvement in my singing, where before I was sort of coasting. You know, I'd go to my lessons and I'd learn some new information, but I wasn't really putting it into practice. So all the knowledge in the world can't teach you to sing. You have to actually physically sing <laughs> to get better, apparently. <laughs> and so for a scatterbrain like me, the act of booking the room and having paid for the room means I turn up and actually do the practice because I'm not going to waste that money. No way. It's funny because I also teach and I now realise that most of what I'm teaching people when I'm not just observing them to be able to critique is how to practice. In terms of proportion of time spent imparting knowledge, it's rare, except in a theory lesson maybe, to be really teaching lots of new information per se. I mean, once you've learned all the notes, you know all the notes, you know what I mean. <laughs> But then it's, how do you learn to put them together in increasingly complex patterns, basically, and refining technique, which I can guide people to do in a lesson via slow baby steps, increments. And sometimes people don't grasp that it's these small steps that work the magic, i.e. how to practice. And to be specific, if it's of interest to you, sometimes I'd ask someone, how did you practice this piece that that might not have progressed particularly well that week. <laughs> and they'll say, I just played it a few times. And I'll say, well, that's possibly where you're going wrong. Because practice really needs to be an active process of curiosity and refinement and discovery. And I think most of us actually could be quite instinctive about our approach to practice if we didn't get in the way of ourselves. I guess what I'm doing by observing pupils and lessons is actually witnessing how is this person getting in the way of themselves? What is standing between them and just the method of learning this passage of music? And with adults, it really becomes a psychology 101, <laughs> as it's often about unpicking habits that people don't even realise they have. With children, they're less fully formed, shall we say, and so they're usually more open to new approaches without too much resistance. But with an adult, I might say, OK, here are the notes. Now just try the notes without the rhythm. 
now tap the rhythm without the notes and let's see which note is stumping you in this passage and let's focus in on that note or that connection or that link just there and iron out that crease and then let's go back and add articulation and is that slowing things down etc etc and it gets very very detailed micro in terms of details and then we need to zoom out again and think on the macro scale how does this section repeat does it repeat how many times what are the patterns of repetition could we save ourselves some time by just jumping to the next new section of material and so often just playing from beginning to end is the least productive method of learning something because effectively unless you have an agenda it's quite a passive pursuit and in a really productive practice session, it's a creative pursuit. You're constantly thinking what the new agenda is. What's the next priority? What's the next most important thing to look at? And then stepping back and having another pass at it and analysing again. And I can see why if someone's agenda is, I just want to play it fast, <laughs> which is most people, they're not necessarily going to achieve that by just playing it at full speed because they're poor fingers need to have tried it many, many times correctly and slowly to stand a chance. Those poor muscles need to learn the patterns and then to be able to do it without thinking. And I often refer in the lessons to the poor fingers or the poor muscles because our overthinking, overambitious brains can hamper their progress. Choose the focus and agenda for them and then let the muscles go through the motions of repetition but also not just blind repetition. It needs to be focused and analytical repetition. So I suppose I could say that when I'm teaching someone to practice better, I'm helping them to learn to prioritise and to find the new agenda. And that's one of the incredible ways that learning an instrument can have lateral effects on our brains in a positive way. It's also probably the most unsexy way to approach music, you know, because... Generally, people just want to be able to sit down and play the piece very quickly and impressively. So I'm observing people's innate agenda, their natural inclination, that they might not see themselves, and trying to stretch the muscles in the opposite direction, trying to encourage more boldness if they're cautious, or trying to encourage more patience if someone's overly impatient or fast. And of course, the simple turning up regularly to do a little a day. And it doesn't need to be an hour a day. If you've the time, go for it. If you've only got five minutes a day, then that's great. You know, five minutes a day is better than 35 minutes once a week. I'm pretty sure of that. And of course, without a deep focus, simple repetition and familiarity gets you a long way. Sometimes my students ask, how much should I be practicing? And I guess my response is, there isn't a universal ideal amount of time that will fix all your problems. Just pick up the instrument every day or just touch the piano every day or just write every day. Make the goal so small that you can't fail. And at that point, I realise I'm not specifically teaching music anymore. I'm more coaching human behaviour. Because like I said, the factual musical knowledge part is the easy bit that most anybody could Google if they know the right question. But that's not to diminish what I do in lessons, because obviously I'm answering questions that the pupils don't even know they needed to know the answer to in the first place. But my point about practice is that it's about forming a habit and of it being a discipline and not in the serious, boring sense of the word, just kind of making it regular 
So you don't need to rely on willpower every time. And this reminds me of when I was in therapy a few years ago during the pandemic. And my brilliant therapist was discussing my goals. And I said, I don't really feel like a composer anymore. And he asked, well, how often do you compose? And I said, hardly ever. And he said, why not? And I said, I'm not sure. I guess I just procrastinate or choose to do other things. And perhaps I'll go into more depth about that another time. But the point is, we experimented with how to overcome this procrastination based on what I really value. And music is so valuable in my life. I just don't think I realized it at the time. Even though I wasn't doing it every day at that point, you know, obviously upon reflection, some kind of deep thought about it, it was obviously vital to me. And so my goal was to write for five minutes a day. So at 1pm every day, I'd sit down at my desk with my paper and pencil, because that's how I still write. And whether I wrote or not, just turn up and do five minutes a day. And invariably, I did more than that. And it was so miraculously simple. My discipline muscles from music college days were kick-started. And I ended up writing a six-minute piece for solo violin over the next couple of months. And it was a piece for the Royal Academy of Music, where I'd done my master's, called Two Alone. And you should check it out if you've not heard it. But practice, the practice of turning up every day to compose, worked. And it didn't make perfection, <laughs> but it was extremely eye-opening for me to relate it to something that I knew well, you know, as a musician practicing, to be able to apply this principle then to other areas of my life. So then this is where we get into the other major part of practice in my life that I mentioned earlier when I was getting my thoughts in order. And if you're going to practice creatively and actively, you're literally getting your thoughts in order as you do an action. It's very therapeutic. And so I started to practice all sorts of things or realized that I was already practicing things besides singing, which I've mentioned. I started running every day for five minutes, hardly a marathon, <laughs> but it's such an easy goal to achieve that I almost religiously managed to still do it and invariably run for longer and I'm much fitter for it especially with breath control and singing and then attached to that after my run I do a little bit of yoga yoga is uh, a very grand term for what I do <laughs> mainly stretching because otherwise I will get cramps you know from running and my goal is put the mat on the floor so you know if I've put the mat on the floor, then tick, I've done that that day. But, you know, make it so simple. And some days, if I'm in a rush, I will do literally a very quick stretch rather than a 20-minute YouTube class. But on the whole, it works. And I practice by making green smoothie because I'm too impatient to chew all of those greens every single day. But I still want the green goodness. And I practice reading. And I try to make it the same time every day just before bed and the goal is open the book that's the simple goal so that it happens you know I can definitely open the book I can commit to that and it makes it so easy that more often than not I will then continue reading and sometimes I just stare at the wall which is quite nice and meditative before bed and then sometimes the practices don't happen and that's also fine because life is chaotic and I get very sleepy and I'm so sensitive because <laughs> I practice teaching daily. I do practically speaking seven days a week at this point and 
coming into contact with so many humans in a one-to-one setting can be very tiring and very consuming. And for a highly sensitive person like me, who gives 100% to everyone all the time, it can be especially draining. Although I absolutely love it. So this year, I'm going to try to practice to give myself more time off, rather than just making my schedule fully available to everybody who wants a lesson, which is not sustainable. So I have to actively practice that and make sure I keep time blocks in my diary for myself, for whole days, ideally. And of course now I'm practicing making a podcast, (laughs) talking of having less on my plate to juggle. (laughs) But um, it's quite exciting and, you know, sort of terrifying. Uh, It was a terrifying prospect, at least for so long. But once I framed it to myself that it's just a practice or an experiment, there's no pressure, and it will naturally, hopefully, improve each time I do it, it takes the pressure off the perfection element of it, and it takes the pressure off there being an end goal. There is no end goal. There is no winning podcasts. (laughs) It's not a competition. Unless, of course, there is an end goal when it comes to practicing music for a concert, for example. But even then, it's never the end of being a musician. It's just a punctuation on the journey. And when I see my whole life through this lens of practice, it then helps take the pressure off everything and helps me to see the incremental changes I can make and to spot patterns of behaviour. For example, I know that December, for me now, is a bit of a write-off when it comes to productivity because I love Christmas so much (laughs) and I get very busy and I want to enjoy myself. So this past December especially, I just let myself enjoy it whenever I could rather than maintaining unrealistic expectations of getting lots of work done. And so I learned so much from this concept of practice in my day-to-day life, because almost everything needs practice, especially self-compassion. Plus, you can't be perfect the first time round. We often need to fail many times to be successful, when we do consider ourselves successful. So we need to practice failing, so it's less difficult to face second, third, fourth time around. You know, I have to be kind and realistic with myself about where I'm at and what I can achieve. So I'm practicing to try to learn to enjoy the journey as much as the idea of the goal. And over time, it also gives me more realistic sense of what I might achieve to be able to temper my expectations. One of my musical idols, Hilary Hahn, an amazing violinist who is the epitome of perfection, really, from my violinistic standpoint. She does an annual challenge to try and challenge this idea of perfect. It's a hashtag 100 days of practice. And I tried it and failed it last year. (laughs) I didn't really know what I was letting myself in for. And I guess I wanted to do it too perfectly. And then I got in my head about not doing it perfectly, which was completely not the point. And I think if I try to join in the challenge again, for example, I'll understand how not to approach it and to approach it with more self-compassion and kindness to the reality of practicing for a hundred days solid and instead to focus on what I learn from the daily ritual, even putting myself through that rather than what I get out of it musically speaking. You know, practice is a musician's lot and Deep down, it's one of the biggest gifts of my life and career to have learned how to practice and then, more recently, how to apply that skill to the rest of my life and to take away that it's about the process and the journey 
And if you're not enjoying that, then really just pick something more fun. Because <laughs> otherwise, what's the point? So talking about practicing making a podcast, I got to this point in the recording process and decided to listen back. And inside my head, I hear this voice saying, who is this sanctimonious <laughs> I mean, green smoothie, blah, daily run, blah, yoga stretching, reading every day, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's 2024, for goodness sake. It's hardly breaking news that wellness might be a good thing, or that daily practice might be a good thing, or like, uh, oh God, I was about to do an American accent then, it would be terrible. <laughs> Maybe you want to do some daily exercise or just practice rebalancing yourself. You know, everybody's already had it shoved down their necks ad nauseum. Why the heck am I, of all people, deciding to tell people how to practice, when really it'd probably be much less work to be binge-watching Selling Sunset, you know what I mean? Like, I mentioned last week that I'm essentialist, and I think that's probably just a nice term for a BS spotter. <laughs> like, does this episode need to exist at all? Does this podcast need to exist, even? I mean, I said what I said, and I obviously said it with some reverence and self-certainty, and I can't deny that those thoughts came into my brain in that order. And at some point I thought it was a good idea to record them and then share them with you all. But what right do I have to take up any of your attention talking about my holier-than-thou realizations about my atomic habits and tiny goals? I'm just a musician, not a lifestyle guru. <laughs> and that's what the inner voice is saying. It's not very nice, is it? Um, because at some point when I was thinking about what I wanted to share in this series, it occurred to me that I might have some insight to practicing after being a musician and teacher for more than half my life. And I think the most vulnerable and sincere part of me put those thoughts in order and then I recorded them. It's so strange to me now to be listening back and having such a vitriolic action. I guess what I'm experiencing is shame having had this moment of sincerity that might be, to all extents and purposes, pretty dull to some listeners, or even off-putting to others who don't want to hear how much kale I practice eating, <laughs> or how much violin practice I did last year. Because for some reason it's been drummed into me growing up up north that arrogance or anything close to that, confidence, self-satisfaction or sincerity, it's like a dirty feeling, or was before I had therapy, to avoid dark jorts. And now this feeling has been voiced and recorded and I guess a little calm perspective is returning to me. I realise that most of my daily practice is just practising being a human and practising being me with no guilt and no shame, however dull that might be. <laughs> no matter how many ginger shots you inhale and how many hours of sleep you get, just turning up and getting through the day and practising being an adult is so hard. <laughs> And practicing not feeling shame or guilt is very hard, especially for having been yourself. Just practicing being myself, because however much I try, there's always the threat of an internal battle with the inner voices. I guess one of the most important things I've taken away so far from practicing to make this podcast and putting it out there for the world to consume and critique, or even worse, ignore, is that that is what I'm doing, just practicing. And that's the best I can ever do, deep down. Savvy plug to my podcast title there. <laughs> but that's the best all of us can do. Because practicing being human is literally our daily work. Until we are no longer here to inflict our traumas on our nearest and dearest. 
and any poor soul who subscribed or followed my podcast feed. <laughs> that little moment of self-doubt, I mean, it got a little strange for a moment, I think, but it felt imperative to capture the flip side of how I feel so often, to throw some perspective onto why practising these objectively positive things has done so much good for me over the years, and to remember that there's a vulnerable voice deep down that knows all the quote-unquote wellness stuff can help to protect that voice, because that's the voice that makes the music. And that hopefully helps people and moves people and sees people. And I guess there's a part of me that feels the need to be seen, as we all do, and share that need. Just for some reason, I decided to do it in a podcast. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for listening and for putting up with that little moment of self-deprecation. And as my pupils often say before playing a piece to me, be kind to me, I'm still practising. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe, follow and review this podcast. And if you like it, share it with your friends or on social media. You can find me on all social platforms by searching at Jordan Hunt Music. And you can listen to my music on all good streaming services. Deep Down uses bits of my music nabbed from my songs Ocean Floor and Peter. Check out the show notes on jordan-hunt.com for exclusive tidbits from this podcast. I'd really love to hear from you via DM or email via my website if any of these experiences resonated with you and if you have questions, suggestions or requests for future episodes. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>